Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish is upset. Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked. the national championship for Notre Dame! Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game! The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com. The free WSBT radio app. Big time audience. Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Check on that. (laughs) So, uh, Darren's out this afternoon. I'm Jim. Darren will be back tomorrow at some point, I think. I don't know. Um, anyway, it is Budweiser's weekday sports beat, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. It, of course, being brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Football fans, this Bud's for you. Also by Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century quality roofing experience. Tim Growl State Farm Insurance for surprisingly great rates that fit anyone's budget. Call Tim at 574-232-9981. South Bend Orthopedics, team physicians for the University of Notre Dame since 1949. The Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. Legacy Heating and Air, a cook family business. Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop, where new beginnings have happy endings. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana, September is Hunger Action Month. How will you choose to help end hunger? Find out more at feedindiana.org. And by Four Winds Casinos, your entertainment escape must be 21 years old. Please play responsibly. So, anyway, how's it going? Uh, Wednesday afternoon, all sorts of stuff going on. Of course, uh, you know, we're all getting ready for the big uh, home opener uh, for Notre Dame between uh, the Irish and the thundering herd of Marshall. How thundering is the Sun Belt, by the way? Yeah, anyway. Uh, let's see. Also, you know, we've got that going on. Uh, let's see. Baseball. There are a lot of, a lot of day baseball today, actually. 
Uh, so we'll keep you up to date on that. Bears and Colts uh, have announced uh, some uh, team captains for the season. We'll get uh, through all of that. Like I said, plenty of stuff to uh, to get to over the course of the afternoon. Uh, this is typically where uh, Darren does the first pitch, so let's do it. The first pitch and the first pitch of the night. And we are ready for the first pitch. Into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. So, it would be safe to say that uh, Notre Dame is looking to get the offense on track, right? Right? That's a safe assumption? Okay, good. Uh, Yeah, 10 points isn't going to do it week in, week out. Didn't know if you knew that or not. Uh... Big part of that has to be the offensive line improving. Joe Alt, Andrew Kostovic, uh Zeke Corral, Josh Lug, Blake Fisher, uh, maybe Jared Patterson thrown in there. Maybe three sacks allowed. Just got just helped uh, the running game get seventy six yards on thirty rushes. Ugh. Ugh. That. Uh, that's that's not what I was expecting, and I don't think that's what uh, head coach Marcus Freeman was expecting either. Here he is uh, talking about the Irish offensive line, uh, their performance on Saturday versus Ohio State. Yeah, they, they had a huge challenge. They, that, that defensive line of Ohio State was, was, was really talented, really good. And, uh, you know, I thought early in the game we didn't handle the movement as well as I wanted to, you know, I thought they settled in and, and did a better job as the game went forward. Um, but it, it was a challenge, and, and they really battled. You know, like I said, we're we're kind of inexperienced. You know, I think sometimes you get the the misperception that hey, we got experience off. No, we don't. You know, we got a young offensive line and and a new offensive line coach, and and I've been really happy with what I've seen. And and um, for them to be able to adjust to the different looks we were getting, the different pressures. I mean, they were bringing pressures and movement um, all over the place, and they they got it, they got it down and got it honed in. And and again, they're gonna when you play a really good defensive line like that, they're gonna get some pressure at times. We're gonna have some mistakes, but um, we have to limit those errors, but also make sure that we can protect as best as we can. So that's a point that needs to improve. The offensive line, yeah, absolutely. Marcus Freeman is right there. Uh, the defensive line, the front seven of Ohio State, quite honestly, uh, all over the place. All over the place. That that was a vast improvement from uh, from basically Ohio State's defense a year ago. Uh, a defense, you could kind of say, kept them out of the college football playoff. Uh, only got them the Rose Bowl bid, as it were. So that's certainly, you know, they they were they were coming out with a uh, with a little bit of a point to prove. They were certainly playing inspired. Uh, God, that Eichenberg kid was just all over the place uh, for Ohio State. So, okay, defensive, you know, the front seven in general, just a massive. Uh, a massive amount of uh, inspiration for Ohio State there. So, okay, yeah, definitely uh, definitely put one over on the offensive line. The offensive line needs to improve. Can't let Tyler Buckner get touched. Uh, yeah, he, he, he likes to run. He can, put, he can pull the ball down and run with it. But, I mean, do you want that every play? No. No, you don't. 
three sacks allowed. Probably could have been more uh, <laughs> if Notre Dame didn't have a mobile quarterback. 76 yards on the ground. The rushing game has to put out more than 76 yards on 30 rushes. It just has to. There's too much riding on the running game to only get 76 yards on the ground. And that's also something that uh, that Marcus Freeman uh, talked about. Yeah, it, it, it's got to it's gotta get better. And the defense, the rush defense also has to get better. Yeah, I think they did a really good job of, of trying to stop the run until that last quarter, right, in the last, you know, 16 minutes of the game. Um, I thought they did do a good job defensively of stopping the run and, and, you know, try to, you know, make Ohio State do some other things. And so, you know, I'm proud of the way they did it. And you look at the last drive of 95 yards and the execution, it was, it was, you know, accumulation of missed tackles, accumulation of uh, misfits. And, and you know what? They got a really good offensive line and a really good, two really good running backs. And so, you know, you have to give credit to them and their execution of when they decided at the end of the game, say, we're going to run the ball. They did a good job of it. And, and we have to be better. You know, when a team says, hey, we're going to run the ball and try to run the clock out and, and uh, we got to be able to step up and, and get a stop. And so, um, again, I don't want to overlook the first three quarters and how they, they stopped the run, but we got to, you know, really focus on when it matters most, do we execute our game plan? Offensively, you know what, I, I, there was points in the game where we did run the ball really well, and it was good to see Audric and, and even uh, Logan Diggs and, and then Chris Tyree on some perimeter runs, and, and we were moving the ball at times, but not at a consistent basis that we want to, and so... You know, the ability to do them both, right, is be able to run the ball and, and then, you know, be able to expose some some areas in the pass game is something that we have to do. We were pretty balanced for the game. Uh, I think it was almost 50-50 in terms of runs and passes. Um, you know, we didn't have a whole bunch of plays on offense, which was kind of by design, period, to shorten the game. That's what we wanted to do going in the game is shorten the game. And, uh, you know, as we continue to move forward, we want to continue to establish the run, but also make sure that we exploit some holes in the pass game. Yeah, yeah, got to do that too. Um, I mentioned this, and and Reggie also mentioned this on the post game show uh, after after the game, obviously. Um, by the time Ohio State got that third touchdown, the defense was pretty gassed. Uh, they were on fumes. They're like they they had nothing more to get. I thought seriously, I thought the defense put forth a great effort all night. They were given Ohio State fits. They made C.J. Stroud, you could say either 1A or 1B of the presumptive favorites to win the Heisman Trophy, uh, they made him look pretty pedestrian. They made that vaunted receiving core look pretty average. Now, granted, you had one of the big names go down, Uh that certainly, uh, that certainly doesn't help things for Ohio State. But at the same time, like those are still five star all you know all Americans right there. So I thought the defense uh, overall did a really good job. Just at the end of the game, they were just gassed. They weren't going to stop any. Like they they were just that gassed. Ohio State won the battle of possession, the time of possession game. Uh, 
I believe by a by like a solid ten minutes. Just they they dic- they dictated the flow of of the game. They dictated pretty much when they had the ball and for how long. Um, that said, like I said, like the pass, the especially the pass defense. Like the big question for me heading into Saturday's game was, okay, so you got some experience in the secondary, but what do you have past the starters? What do you have past that? You know that first line. Um, they uh, they really put forth a really good effort. I, I thought I thought they they did a great job, uh, but like I said, they were gassed by the end of the game. They were just gassed. So that's how it got to twenty one. Hey, you still covered. <laughs> we still covered. We got that going for us. Uh, the passing game obviously needs to be better. We can't. I mean, yeah, Michael Mayer is at an absolute beast. He can't be the only guy. And even at that, he only had, what, like 32 yards receiving? Five catches, 32 yards? Can't have that, all right? He was the only guy to catch more than one pass. Styles had the big one for 54 right at the start of the game, and then we didn't hear from him again. Lindsey had one for 32. I can't even remember when that happened in the game, quite honestly. <laughs> uh, Salerno had the, uh, had, the, uh, had the circus grab for 31 yards. Jaden Thomas didn't have anything. Wide receiving core, they, they got to do better. Yeah, I think, again, from... My direction down was, hey, I want to establish the run, and I want to be able to control the clock. And and, but as you looked at the, you know, the numbers, it still was was pretty even in terms of, um, you know, runs versus passes. I mean, we were pretty consistent in terms of how, um, you know, even we were and balanced we were as an offense. You know, and and again, they for the most part, you talk about young guys. You know, Braden Lindsey's been here for a while. Matt Salerno um, has been here but hasn't played much meaningful minutes um, as a wideout in the past. And so it's a young group that has to continue to develop. Um, they have talent, but we got to develop them. And, and then we got to execute. It still comes down to execution. You know, you got Lorenzo Styles, it's 10 to 7, um, and it's first down, and we take a shot when he's in the slot, and we miss. And, and is it the route? Is it the ball? It's just all different areas that we got to improve at. Um, you know, Tyler's got to continue to make better decisions. Everybody's got to continue to improve, but um, it's an area that we have to continue to utilize. You know, I know going in that game, I said we got to establish the run, and that's always going to be my mindset because to me, establishing the run can open up the pass game, and so um, that's that's going to be important. But we have to continue to grow. Those guys got to continue to mature. We got to continue to protect for the quarterback. You know, we got a young offensive line. People, you know, let's not confuse Blake Fisher. Blake Fisher started, what, three games? Joe Alts started seven games, you know. You got Zeke Carell, but then you're missing Jarrett Patterson. You know, Josh Lugg has played some, but we're young still on that offense side of the ball. And I thought really for what I asked as the head coach, our offense to do and Coach Reese to do, and, and I, I really – was happy with the way we executed um, really until that fourth quarter where and we, we didn't do what we needed to do on either side of the ball, on special teams either. 
So that's Marcus Freeman on uh, the wide receivers. Just they gotta get better. I know that I know it's a thin unit, but they gotta get better because I mean, thin unit or not, um, they're still going to be called upon to be a huge part of this game. All right, just the way it is. And I, like I said, thin unit, hit with injuries hard. You still got to produce. Ever, you know, it, it's all got to be next man up. You got to produce. You got to do your job. So, uh, Tyler Buckner, for for all things considered, not a terrible start. His his first start in how long? <laughs> he was he was in high school, and it was before COVID. That was the last time that he started. Played some last year. Had a had a handful of play. You know. Got some experience that way. But as far as starting a game, as far as being the guy under center, first time in, let's say it, years. 10 for 18, though, 177 yards. He did get sacked three times. 11 rushes, 18 yards. Not exactly great, but then again, I'm not looking for Tyler Buckner to be the leading rusher because he's the quarterback. He has other things to do. So, what did head coach Marcus Freeman think about Tyler Buckner's uh, first start? First collegiate start in that type of environment and in that type of a game, um, I was really pleased. I think at one point in the first half, um, Tyler was, I wrote it down here, I don't know, even eight of eight, of, eight, of eight, but like eight of ten in the first half, or something like that. I mean, he did... I mean, that's really good. And they had sent me some number for a QB rating. I don't know much about QB rating, so I told them I can't use that. Um, but I was really pleased. And, and the other thing is zero turnovers, you know, and the plays he was able to make with his legs. And, and he got beat up now. I mean, and we knew going in that game we were going to have to run Tyler Buckner. Um, that's not our plan every week, but we knew that game in order to try to establish maybe some run game, we we're going to have to run him a little bit. And, and he got hit, and he continued to um, get up and keep going. And they said on the sidelines that he was the leader. He was getting guys going and positive. And, I mean, we got ourselves a quarterback, and uh, there's a strong belief in what he can do for this football program. Now, I don't want to be all doom and gloom like I have been for pretty much the last 20 minutes. Notre Dame does have a quarterback. Even with guys breathing down his neck, the pressures, you know, I mean, 106,000 people basically yelling in your face. Tyler Buckner showed up. More than I thought that he would. Like, I, I, I figured that he'd do well because, you know, I mean, highly touted recruit, sure. But he showed me something. Like, he really showed me that he is ready to be the leader of this team. He's the kind of quarterback Notre Dame hasn't had in a while either. So, yeah, there's going to be some growing pains this year. You know, obviously. You know, I mean, it is, it is Tyler Buckner's first start. But, I mean, off to a good start so far, I think, as far as, as, far as he goes. His receivers got to get better. Running game has to get better on both sides of the ball there too, uh, especially the defensive side. 
for Marshall. Okay, sure. They were playing Norfolk State. <laughs> I get that. And they beat them 55 to 3. Okay. Still, Ethan Payne had a, had uh, 113 yards on 10 rushes. Uh, Kalan LeBourne, or Kalan LeBourne, whichever, uh, 12 rushes, 102 yards. Each of them with two touchdowns. Uh, each of them broke off some big runs. A couple of big runs. Payne had one for 45. Laybourne had one for uh, for 23. Marshall has a running attack. Defensive unit going to have its work cut out for it again this week. So, got a lot to work on as far as uh, as far as uh, as far as Notre Dame goes. But I wasn't disappointed. Hell, like I said, they covered. That has my respect right there because I mean you know we're we're all basically crowning if it's not Alabama we're crowning Ohio State or Georgia. Man, Georgia look holy cow! <laughs> Georgia lost that much and they're and they're reloaded. They beat up on the number eleven team in the country like that, huh? Glad Georgia's not on the schedule, I'll say that. Glad Georgia's not there. <laughs> uh, we'll take a look at the uh, Twitter question of the day. Uh, Darren put that out, and uh, we'll uh, we'll recap that. Uh, a uh, Let's see. My five question of the day, also dealing with, uh, with Notre Dame football. We've got opponent rankings, how they did, uh, what they've got coming up. Got some sports wagering talk to uh, to get through. <laughs> Brian Kelly uh, and a reporter got had I, I guess had some fun. I guess I'm sure you've seen that. I've, I'm sure you've heard that sound clip even today. Um, don't worry, we've heard from the reporter as well. The reporter who actually said all that stuff. I'll recap what uh, what she had to say. Uh, that's all to come. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. This is the Budweiser's weekday sports beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Jim and for Darren this afternoon. He'll be back tomorrow. Yesterday's question, Darren asked, based on your preseason expectations, have your thoughts on how the Notre Dame season will play out change after watching the Ohio State game? Same expectations, they will be better or not as good. Uh, Pretty much everybody's got the same expectations. By a (laughs) 67.4% tally. 19.1%, they will be better. And then uh, 13.5% not as good. I mean, my expectations are, you know, like I said, growing pain. Like, it's a year off, I think. In that, I think they're really going to be something to contend with next year. So nothing's really changed there for me, but... uh, 
it also seems that nothing's changed for anybody else, really, for the most part, either. Today's question... And, of course, you could uh, vote on this. At 960 Sportsbeat, that's Darren's personal account. Also, we've got it retweeted on uh, on the WSBT Twitter page as well, at Sports Radio 960. Which part of the Notre Dame football team will make the biggest jump from week one to week two? The offensive line, the wide receivers, or the run defense? Right now, offensive line. I would, I would certainly agree with that. By a large majority right now. You've still got plenty of time to vote, by the way. You just threw this up this afternoon, so that is, that is today's question. Which part of the Notre Dame football team will make the biggest jump from week one to week two? Offensive line, wide receivers, or run defense? So... Offensive line kind of running away with things right now. Just saying. Coming up, in case you missed it, from uh, from Monday, Darren talked with Tyler Horka from blueandgold.com. Monday's kind of a weird day, Labor Day. Maybe you weren't listening. Maybe you didn't listen to the podcast or anything like that. We'll replay that interview from uh, from Monday. Of course, uh, Darren and Tyler bring you game day sports beat every pregame. That powered by Michelob Ultra, by the way. Darren, Darren and Tyler with uh, with game day sports beat uh, this week coming up at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Kind of change, you know. Obviously, changes with the schedule, but 11 a.m. game day sports beat powered by Michelob Ultra. That is coming up. We will uh, replay the uh, the Darren and Tyler talk from Monday. Coming up, Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat, Sports Radio 960, WSBT. It's not the result that we came to for. And there's no such thing as a moral victory. We didn't, we didn't win. We didn't finish the game. We didn't execute. Um, I think we found out we got a good football team. We got a good, we got a tough, we got a football team. We got to learn how to finish, and uh, that's ultimately what happened in the game. Battle, battle for three and a half, four, uh, two and a half quarters, um, and then they score one 17 seconds before the half, before the third quarter, and then we don't respond, and they go and score again in the fourth quarter, and that's the game. That's really the game. Like, we didn't finish. We got to be able to finish when it matters the most, and uh, that's ultimately what costs us. So we got a lot to learn from in this game. Um, the beauty of this thing is I just told the group in the locker room, we don't have to wait 245 days. We're able to, we got seven days for another opportunity, so uh, we got to get back to work. That was Fighting Irish head coach Marcus Freeman. Post game Saturday night after losing to Ohio State 21 to 10. Execution and finish were two of the key words in the post game from Freeman and the players that were allowed to talk to the media. Saturday night. Welcome back to Weekday Sports Beat brought to you by Budweiser on this Labor Day. We are live at 532. I'm Darren Pritchett, joined by my Game Day Sports Beat co-host and of course the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated. A lot of post-game coverage right now at blueandgold.com and also already starting to look ahead to Saturday's opponent, Marshall. 
Well, Tyler, thank you for joining me on this holiday. Greatly appreciate your time. You know, I I agree with Marcus to an extent, but I also disagree. There was a lot of focus on finish, finish, finish. And I look throughout the football game, I just think there were a lot of missed opportunities for this squad. Defensively, I couldn't ask for much more except for that 95-yard drive. They gave this team every chance to win the football game. It just was offensively, Tyler, it looked like a football team that knew they were going on the road, hostile environment, and they had a first-time starting quarterback, and they just weren't ready to put the offense in fifth gear yet. Your thoughts on the way the Irish attacked the game offensively? I agree with that. There was really only that one drive, the 10-play, 87-yard drive, where you sat there and said, man, Notre Dame looks pretty good offensively. The rest of the game, I mean, whether it was the play calling, which I know everyone wants you know, Tommy Reese questioned and looked at, but I don't think it was the play calling as much as it just was guys weren't making plays. It, it yep. starts up front with the offensive line, obviously. There were a ton of blunders, but you know, even with the offensive line and some of the mistakes that those guys made, I went I went back and rewatched the game. I'm actually in the process of doing that right now. We'll have an article at com about the offensive line play specifically, but in watching the offensive line play after play while I went back, I saw tight ends, Michael Mayer included, Kevin Bauman included, running backs, Estime, Tyree, Diggs, you know, the whole lot of them miss blocks. And when you miss blocks, and like you said, you have a first-time starting quarterback, the entire play is thrown off kilter. It's going to look ugly. We saw a lot of ugly throws from Tyler Buckner, especially in the second half, because the play was thrown thrown for a loop from the very start. So, Everything has to be clicking, especially when you have a guy who has never started a game, and especially when you're playing in an environment like that, and it wasn't. So when you go back to Marcus Freeman's buzzword, finish, I, I don't even really think they were in a position to finish. Okay, yeah, yep. they were winning 10-7 10, 10 to 7 late in the third quarter, and you were like, they still have a chance. But who really thought, even at that point, that you know all, all Notre Dame had to do was finish? at that point and, and get it over the finish line. There was an entire quarter left to play, and obviously the end of that third quarter as well, and C.J. Stroud did his thing. He finished. Notre Dame wasn't even in a position to finish because there was still a lot of game left, and they had wasted so many opportunities, like you said, Darren, in the first 40 minutes that you just kind of felt that those were going to come back to bite, and they did. Rather than talking about play calling, here's two things I left the football game questioning. And the second one, I'm really looking forward to your answer because you're going to be able to answer something those of us watching on TV couldn't. So I'll save that for a second. But the first of two things I left this football game concerned about, number one, the interior of the Irish offensive line, including the center position. I don't like to jump to conclusions, but there was a point in the game Saturday night where I said, when Jared Patterson comes back, I'm not quite sure if the best solution isn't him to go back to the center position. So I'm not going to pile just on the center. I thought there were breakdowns along the offensive line. What's your takeaway on what was supposed to be a strength of this football team? It leaked a few holes, I think, on Saturday against a really good Ohio State front. I totally agree with you, and I'm going to direct everybody to my Twitter, at TB Orca. <laughs> the first thing that I want everybody to do is always go to blueandgold.com, first stop for your Notre Dame news. But if you look, I'm looking at it right now. Nine minutes ago, as I said, I'm, I'm re-watching the game right now. Nine minutes ago, I tweeted, 
a video of Zeke Carell snapping the ball back to Tyler Buckner and just kind of standing flat-footed. Yep. Josh Lug probably could have picked up this defensive tackle on a block as well. But both of those guys, like you said, they're interior offensive linemen. They let a, a pass rusher straight through to Tyler Buckner. Last year it would have been sacked. Jack Cohn would have been sacked. Mm-hmm. Somehow Tyler Buckner evaded the tackle, got back to the line of scrimmage. But that was just one instance of, to me, there were many. I, I might, uh, and I'm, I'm going to post this article in the morning on Tuesday morning, like I told everybody, but I think there might be a handful, maybe more instances where you can just look at the Notre Dame offensive line and say to yourself, how did that happen? Why did that happen? That shouldn't be happening if this is the offensive line that we built up so much over the offseason with Harry Heastand coming back. If I'm saying all of this watching the film back, I guarantee you Harry (laughs) Heastand is looking at it saying, how in the world did we let some of these guys get through like that? Because, I mean, they're they're untouched. You have got to at least put a hand on these guys, and that, that should be the very least. They should be manhandling some of these guys, even if they are very talented, highly recruited guys that Ohio State has. So, yeah, I, I left thinking the same thing. Uh, you know, the interior of the offensive line, especially, did not look very good against Ohio State. And for people that did not hear today, Jared Patterson still listed as questionable by Fighting Irish head coach Marcus Freeman. Now to the second thing that concerned me, and this is harder to analyze while you're watching on TV. You're at the game. You're in the press box. I know you're watching a million things, but I just want to get your insight. You look at the targets in the game. Now, granted, Buckner only threw 18 times, but wide receivers were not targeted very much. First play of the game, Styles makes the catch, goes 54 yards. You're thinking, holy cow. But the rest of the game, Styles had one more target the rest of the game, which I have a hard time believing that should be reality. But let's throw that aside. In your estimation, Lindsey, Thomas, Styles. Were you seeing any separation by them against those Ohio State defensive backs? Did Buckner have many ways to go with the football because receivers weren't targeted? And I'm just wondering, was part of that their inability to get separation? The short answer, absolutely. It was a big part of why the Notre Dame passing game looked the way it did. The second part of that is I think Tommy Reese was maybe a little handcuffed by the game plan. And Marcus Freeman, even today during his Monday press yep. conference, came back in and said the game plan was executed. We wanted to run. We ran the ball a lot. If you look at the distribution, I think it was 30 runs, 18 passes. So right there, you're looking at only 18 opportunities to throw the ball to any of those wide receivers. And then you, you look at the targets, as you've all obviously done. Michael Mayer has eight of those. So that's almost half the targets going to one guy. And if you're going to target somebody – Eight times, it's probably going to be Michael Mayer. But if you're looking at it from a sample size perspective, that's only 10 opportunities where you're throwing to anybody else. And I think uh, Tyree might have got a catch. Obviously, Kevin Bauman was looked at a couple of times and made a catch. But all of a sudden, you're looking at, you know, you have three to four wide receivers who you probably trust athletically to get the ball in their hands. But you're only giving them you know, upward of like eight shots or eight looks to get the ball in their hands. And again, that goes back to the the first part of your question. I think separation is a huge issue. I mean, when I look at these guys in practices, I, I see Lorenzo Styles, and I think there's no reason that guy shouldn't be targeted 10 times on a Saturday. Agreed. And he can make six to, six to eight catches. And whether that's slants, screens, 
you know, the quick routes, I don't think we're seeing enough of that. Again, that's partly play calling, but then again, Tommy Reese is a little bit handcuffed by what they wanted to do. So cohesion, just overall offensive, I don't want to say game plan, because obviously the game plan was to run, but just the way that they went about attacking the Ohio State defense, it became clear that they weren't going to be able to run all over Ohio State like they wanted to, but then they really didn't turn to a quick passing game to kind of mitigate that and get the ball out of Tyler Buckner's hands quickly either. So that's why you saw an offense fall flat, I mean totally flat, in the second half of that ball game, and it cost them. Blue and Gold Illustrated's Notre Dame football beat reporter, Tyler Horka, live here on WSBT Radio. Darren Pritchett with you on this Labor Day. It did not help Tommy Reese's cause, the field position, in this football game. I mean, they were in some miserable spots. They started on their 15, 5, 25, 13, 5, 21, 29, 12, 13, 25. Again, with a first-time quarterback, that's not exactly how you want it drawn up. But that was what they were dealing with. And part of that had to do, Tyler, with less than special special teams. This has become known as kind of fair catch you with all the fair catches on punt returns, but even when they tried to return kickoffs, there was not a lot of running room. Xavier Johnson caught the touchdown pass to put them in front. Then he made the ensuing tackle on the kickoff inside of the 20-yard line. So with the changes on special teams, boy, it didn't turn out to be a special night. And don't you think that had a lot to do with what Reese could do play-calling-wise, where they started a lot of these drives? Oh, absolutely. And it's honestly a miracle that Notre Dame led the game at halftime because I think the field position thing got a little better probably early third quarter. Notre Dame actually yes. started with great field position on its first drive of the third quarter. But early on, uh, those those two five-yard situations where they started at the five-yard line twice, that, those were both in the first half. Uh, they moved the ball out of there, I think, both times to, to give John Stott a, at mm-hmm. least a little bit of room. I don't think he ever really punted from his end zone. But in terms of what that does to an offense, absolutely. You never want to start with – you know, your back's backed up to the goal line, especially in a hostile environment like that. And I can speak to that. Boy, was it rocking in there. And Notre Dame quieted that for a little (laughs) bit. But when the place wanted to get loud, it got very loud. So the field position was definitely an issue. And I go back to the very first kickoff of the game where I think Chris Tyree caught it in a decent spot. The the kickoff specialist for Ohio State kind of cornered him a little bit. You never really want to – he cornered him and Tyree stayed on the short side of the field, which – Probably isn't a smart move, but if that's where the way the blocking set up, then that's probably a special teams thing to think about for Notre Dame going forward as well. But I think he got stuffed inside the 20. Maybe it was closer to the 15. And that'll give a home team a lot of momentum and a lot of confidence when you are kicking off and you are in those situations where you're punting and kicking off to gun down those guys, go down there as the gunners and make tackles. And I think we saw it consistently, and it all kind of stemmed from that very – opening kickoff of the game because I speak of it getting very loud in there. That was honestly one of the loudest points when Ohio State went down and stuffed Tyree on the kickoff. And it was kind of like a, well, Notre Dame, you're in our house now and we're going to play our ball. And uh, special teams wise, it it definitely kind of played out that way. Tyler, I want to talk defense for a moment. And as I mentioned in the opening segment, even to you, the defense was outstanding. Give up 21 points, more than you could have asked for. I know fans are frustrated on the touchdown that gave Ohio State the lead, third down and 11 for Ohio State at the Notre Dame 24-yard line. 
Notre Dame had kept their safeties back most of the night wisely, trying to keep the ball in front of them, avoid those explosive plays. Well, the Irish got aggressive on that third down and 11 play and brought a double safety blitz. And what do you know? The safeties come. They don't get to the quarterback. They start too late. It looked like they were too far back. And the throw goes right over the top of them for a touchdown, and Ohio State takes the lead. Marcus Freeman was asked about that play call today, and here was his response. No, we, we, it was right before timeout. And we had a timeout, and I remember Coach Golden said, hey, do you guys like whatever the call was, and it was a zero pressure, and I agreed, everybody else agreed, and, you know, you look at the execution of that play, it's not the call, you know, it's third and 11, um, we had said going to the game, we either, you know, we had a plan for third down, and one of those plans was to be able to bring six, and be able to play a zero pressure, we had not run that all game, and we said, okay, here's a good time for it, and you know, the execution of it wasn't where we wanted. The safeties were a little bit too late. We had a guy drop out when he probably should have been going. You know, we got to get inside leverage with the nickel. And, you know, you got a freshman in that big moment. And, you know, if we could, again, go back and do it over again, I wouldn't change the call. Probably just change the way we communicate and the execution of it. But, um, man, that was a heartbreaker. And, and, you know, obviously changed the tide of the game. All right, let's talk our way through this. Tyler, I'll say this. On Twitter when the play happened, I asked immediately, why was that call okay? I wasn't being critical. I just wanted to hear the other side of it. Why in that moment you would bring both safeties after playing the game the same way throughout most of the night. You're opening the door for a big play if you don't get to the quarterback. Hey, it's risk-reward when you blitz extra bodies. I totally get that. But i got to admit this. I didn't like the call at the time. Not saying it wasn't the right call. Wasn't a big fan of it. But I hated the call after hearing that comment from Marcus Freeman today. And here's why. That call came after a timeout. They were on the sideline as a unit. They could have talked about what needed to happen on that double safety blitz to make sure everybody was on the same page. And he just went through a laundry list of things that went wrong on the play. How the hell does that happen after you have all the players on the sideline knowing what's coming. That's why I'm disappointed about the execution. How can you not go over every small little detail in that opportunity on the sideline? Well, there's actually one thing that you said before you went on that little rant, which is a very good rant, by the way. Uh, I don't hear you get worked up too often, but this is something that definitely warrants getting worked up. But you said this is, and Marcus Freeman said it himself as well, this is something that Notre Dame hadn't done all night to this point. Here you are in the late third quarter. You have a lead. Your defensive game plan has obviously been working because Ohio State, possibly the best offense in the country, has only scored seven points to this point. And then you roll out something that you had not done all night. Obviously, you had success without doing this all night, and it doesn't work. If you look at the other side of the ball, as I've said multiple times here, I've been going through Notre Dame's offensive possessions Jim Knowles rushed six. I'm not even halfway through the third quarter right now, and I'm pretty sure I've counted three to five instances where Jim Knowles has rushed six, and usually it ends up working because I think he found a weakness in that offensive line, and he went at it. Notre Dame had no idea. This was, this was the guinea pig rush six for Notre Dame. This was, we don't know if it's going to work, but if it does, it's, it's really going to work. You don't do that on third and 11 when you have the lead in a game that you've been playing lights out defensively. So I, I agree. Uh, I, I think at the time I thought it was a terrible decision. I think it's a terrible decision now. Usually that's the way it goes with safety blitzes. 
if it works, a safety gets to the quarterback and you're saying, wow, this was a great idea by the defensive coordinator and the, and the head coach. They knew that this pressure was going to get there. I don't think they knew that this pressure was going to get there. If they were doing this to call a different look for the sake of simply calling a different look, well, it didn't work and it backfired. You lost the lead on that play and you never got it back the rest of the game. One more question for you, Tyler, as we start to wrap up our conversation. This actually caught me off guard today. Again, watching on TV, it's a little different than being at the game. But Patrick Engel, your colleague at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, always comes up with the number of snaps each player had in the football game. And I was going through today, and one position really stood out. And I don't know if you thought the same thing or not, but you're at the game, so I'm going to throw this at you. Unless I missed something, I was shocked to see in the ball game at the safety position, Brandon Joseph played 45 snaps, Ramon Henderson 30, DJ Brown 32, Griffith 33, Watts with six. So I guess I'm surprised Joseph would even leave the field. Yeah, and I know the expectation is the Kyle Hamilton sort of thing where you've got a unicorn, so you've got to leave him on the field at all times. I don't know if Brandon Joseph is in that vein. Okay. In that, you know, he, he he's not six. And this, I'm not speaking athletically or as a football player. It's just that he's not six four. He's he's not a guy that other defenses never see, and you can't really prepare for because even your scout team, your tech scout team defenses definitely don't have a guy like that. I think he's a, just another guy in a rotation that probably needs to come off the field here and there. Now, is he the best? safety that Notre Dame has to offer absolutely I think he was flying around the field made that what I would call a questionable hit on Jackson Smith and Jigba and that kind of changed the course of his rest of the game but I do think he's a guy that needs to come out now did he need to come out that much probably not but I think Notre Dame fell into a comfort factor with the way it was rotating you never really saw Ohio State take the top off of the defense even when Brandon Joseph was off the field so the more that that became the case and the more that Marcus Freeman and Al Golden could see that Joseph could come off the field and things weren't going to go haywire, they did it a little bit more. And, you know, that was probably the toughest test that Notre Dame is going to face from an air-it-out standpoint until maybe the final game of the regular season against USC. So I think Joseph is going to be a guy that rotates quite a bit, definitely more than Kyle Hamilton. I, I don't know. It's kind of ironic for me to bring up Hamilton because I'm the guy that always says we shouldn't compare him to Hamilton, but I just kind of want to hammer that point home that, you know, Joseph is a little different of a player. Is he a great player? Absolutely. But he's going to come off here and there, too. What would you like to talk about? Things that are happening at blueandgold.com this week. Yeah, definitely go check out that article that I've been plugging a little bit in this interview tomorrow morning. If you want to see exactly what the Notre Dame offensive line did play after play against Ohio State, I'm going to have gone through all of those plays by the end of the night. It'll be up tomorrow morning. We've got a Marshall preview going up tomorrow morning. You mentioned Patrick Engel. He does an excellent job. We're going to have coverage throughout the week leading up to Marshall. We're kind of in a groove right now. This is, this is our season groove, and we're going to cover Notre Dame like nobody else covers Notre Dame. So football season is in full swing. Go to blueandgold.com if you want to read all things Notre Dame. Very good. Tyler, thank you so much for your time, your analysis, and I will talk to you Saturday with Game Day Sportsbeat presented by Mikkel Boltra, which is 11 to one thirty from the stadium this week. And so looking forward to that. Have a good week. All right. That's a birthday edition of uh, the Game Day show, by the way. That's my birthday, and uh, 
no better place than to spend it at a football stadium all day, and, and I say that wholeheartedly. All right, all right. Well, happy birthday in advance, and hopefully we have a nice weather day and a good football day here in South Bend. That's a that's a long work day for your birthday, though. Someone's going to have to maybe buy a little dinner or something after the game to celebrate. Yeah, we'll probably have to wait till like Sunday afternoon because <laughs> if this last weekend was any indication, I'll I'll be up pretty late. I, I, I'm thankful it's a two thirty kick. Let's just say that. I'm with you there. Tyler, have a great week. We'll talk to you Saturday. All right, looking forward to it, Darren. Thanks. You bet. Tyler Horka, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Of course, you can catch Darren and Tyler with Game Day Sports Beat 11 o'clock this Saturday morning, part of our uh, almost endless Notre Dame pregame coverage, uh, which gets underway starting at 8 o'clock with a replay of the Marcus Freeman Show, which, by the way, premieres tomorrow night right here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. A Sports Center update coming up. Also a uh, let's see, look at some uh, sports betting, all sorts of stuff still to come. Hour number two coming up. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Number two, Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Jim in for Darren this afternoon. He'll be back tomorrow. Switch.tv slash Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Snitching. Snitching. Snitch, snitch, snitch. Joe Flow Four, thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in on the Twitch channel. Said yesterday, Darren made fun of you, meaning me, and the members of the media who said, "But they covered the spread." LOL. Would you rather they get their doors beaten off? Would you rather they not put up at least a respectable showing? They only fell to number eight in the polls. If they'd gotten their doors blown off, probably 11. Maybe 12. That will matter. Keep in mind, I've also said, you know, I, I see this team being a two-loss team at at most. So, you know. I'm kind of drinking the, uh, the positivity punch on that one. I'm not going to lie. But, eh. would you rather they not have been competitive the other night? Okay. All right, fine. Eh. Okay. 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 Speaking of covers... Let's see. Some numbers. Numbers, 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 numbers. Numbers, numbers. Uh, Let's see. Last night, these are Darren's numbers, by the way. Uh, It went 4-0 last night. 
Yeah, two-team parlay with the uh, cards money line at, uh, versus the Nats, and then the uh, Guardians on the money line at the Royals won that. Yeah, I kind of need this, don't I? Uh, cards and Nats under eight for total runs. Looks like another parlay here. Pablo Espino versus uh oh no. Okay, not not a not a parlay. But under eight runs between the cards and Nats. Got that one. Cards one four one. Uh Rays straight up on the money line versus the Red Sox. They won eight to four, so win there. And then um, Merrill Kennedy over four and a half strikes at the Padres. Won that one. Today, it's got the Cubs straight up against the Reds at, uh, at minus 145. Rockies money line versus the Brewers. Got that one. They won 8-4 to today. So, Marlins at uh, Marlins and Phillies, anyway. Under 7.5 runs. Trevor Rogers and uh, Bailey Falter, the uh, the pitchers there. Then a uh, another two team parlay. It looks like Braves money line at the A's. What was the score of that game? Besides ridiculous, seven two Braves, top of the eighth. That's looking all right. And then uh, you also got uh, Cardinals. And the Nats in St. Louis. Uh, he's taking the uh, the Cardinals money line versus the Nationals at minus one twenty nine. Uh, looks like uh, yeah, there we go. Also going, uh, I guess, under on on two and a half runs for the Cards against the Nats. We shall see. Last night, 4-0 for the week, 7-0-1 for the month, 11-4-1, 3-2 in college football, 26-28 on the underdog. Yeah. 129-101-3 is uh, his total record. Not bad. Not bad. Let's see. What's, uh, what, do I wanna, what do I want to throw out there tonight? I don't want any part of the Twins and Yankees, quite honestly. Don't want any part of that. That's a uh, that's a couple of that's a couple of teams circling the bowl right now. Me being a Mets fan, by the way, what the Mets are doing as far as. You know, Right now, I guess, being half a game up in the NL East. After the Braves finally beat the A's, they'll still be tied. Um, That's not a collapse. That's not a collapse. That's a team in the Mets who is on pace to win 96 games. Um, being caught by a team on pace to win 
116 games. That's since June, by the way. That's their pace since June. They've been on pace to win 116 games. The Braves haven't lost. That's that's not so much a product of the Mets collapsing. <laughs> Hasn't been a great start to September, I will admit. Game two of uh, the of the Mets and Pirates doubleheader. Over under set at seven runs on that game. Let's see, the Pirates stink. And uh, given how the Mets have played, I mean, five runs for them today in the first game was something. Probably under seven between the Mets and Pirates. (laughs) Game two between the Twins and Yankees in their doubleheader. Which, by the way, is slated to start in like 15 minutes. So that's being pushed back, which means more time to get some money in. Uh, Six and a half on that. Uh, Yeah. I mean, unless unless Aaron Judge somehow hits like six homers, seven homers, really, because he's like the only offense in that game. The same. Anyway. There's my numbers anyway. <laughs> That's all I got as far as betting goes. Those numbers, by the way, from uh, from BetMGM, which uh, which I play with. That's my that's my preferred way of spurts betting. Uh, still to come, we've got <laughs> Brian Kelly's run in with a reporter, a hometown reporter at that. Already getting crap from the LSU media. Fantastic. I'm all for it. Above the noise right now from Dan Patrick on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Jim and Darren, it is Budweiser's weekday sports beat. 7.15, pregame starts on the South Bend Cubs at Cedar Rapids tonight. That's a, a little preview of playoffs for the South Bend Cubs. They're playing uh, next week. Tuesday's a home game at, uh, at Four Winds Field for the South Bend Cubs. And then it's two more games in that series. It's a best of three series. Uh, Two more games Thursday and Friday. So that for the, uh, I I believe, if I read the, uh, (laughs) if I I read everything correctly, which, coin toss, um, I believe that's the Midwest League series. And then the high A Championship series is the week after that if they advance there. So, but anyway, that is uh, that's South Bend Cubs baseball uh, through the rest of the week, finishing up the season at Cedar Rapids, and then uh, coming home for for a game on Tuesday, and then two more on the road at Cedar Rapids Thursday and Friday next week. Best of three series. Good luck to the South Bend Cubs on that front. 
sure didn't take long for Brian Kelly to uh, uh, <laughs> to rankle some in the media, did it? <laughs> like I was, I was going. Like they're let let's face it, compared to here, and it can be pretty demanding here. They're insane down in Louisiana, down in LSU country. LSU fans might be the most unreasonable college football fan in the country. And considering that we've got Ohio State fans and Alabama fans thrown in there, that's quite a crown that they have. Quite the crown indeed. So Brian Kelly is wrapping up his uh, his weekly press conference, his weekly uh, you know after the you know after the game recap slash looking ahead press conference. You know, typically it's on Monday here at Notre Dame. I don't know if this was uh, either on Monday or uh, yesterday, Tuesday, but uh, he's wrapping up his his press conference, and this happens. That. We'll uh, we'll open it up to this late arriving uh, media crowd that uh, must have uh, enjoyed the the weekend. Um, that's usually ten dollars um, that we put in the kitty. Um, for we, we'll have a big bash at the end of the year at my place. <laughs> I don't think it has anything to do with winning. I think it has to do with being on time. In case. You didn't hear that. Go ahead and just turn that up. Just just a hair. The year at my place. <laughs> Already getting crap from the LSU media. First of all, Brian, if I can if I can talk to you for, for just a second here. Um Why didn't you go for two? Like, even if you fail on the two-point attempt, you at least say to people, hey, I'm willing to take the chances. I'm willing to roll the dice here. What happens, happens, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident in my ability. <laughs> like you'd ever say that. Come on now. I've been around here for a while. I, th- I think I've been able to pick up, you know, how the, how the dude is. But, yeah, already going in on the LSU, LSU media. And then they snap back. They're like alligators down there. They're going to snap back. Leah Van, the, uh, the reporter who uh, gave us that gem, quite honestly, uh, <laughs> I mean, just... No other way around it. Just a fantastic comeback line. Like, that's an all-time comeback line. Writes for The Advocate. Uh, the Advocate down in uh, down in Baton Rouge. and I mean, here, here's what she had to say about this, by the way. All right, she took to Twitter because obviously she's getting, she's getting crap for it, amazingly enough. But here's what she said. Uh, let's see. Yeah, this must have been this must have been after the fact. So yesterday, press conference was at noon. 
I was running from a doctor's appointment. Got there at 11.57. Wasn't scheduled to start till noon. She got there 11.57. Gotten it a little close for my taste, but still there technically early. Brian Kelly called me out. Said jokingly I owed him $10. I said if he won, maybe I'd be on time. Not my finest hour. I apologized afterward. He was super chill and said I still owe him. <laughs> so, okay. All right. There's a Mia Culpa right there. And I'll admit, not exactly the not exactly the most professional thing to do in a press conference, but at the same time, I'm I'm probably not reacting well to being called out either, to being singled out either. Can't really blame her. I would have been a lot more vile about it too. Like, like they would have been throwing me out. Like they would have been tossing me out of my ass. But um, yeah, maybe if you won, I'd be on time. Tremendous. Needless to say, uh, there, there's a bunch. There's a bunch of my media brothers and sisters who. Uh, including some around here who've been do, doing just a little bit of pearl clutching over the last 24 hours since, uh, since that press conference, a little bit of pearl clutching and, uh, to be perfectly honest, I, I, I think y'all are jealous because you wish you could have done the same. Plain and simple. That was just the first tweet of a uh, of a small thread that uh, that that Leah wrote on Twitter. Uh, second tweet in that thread. I know Brian Kelly likes to joke. He clearly took it as one from our conversation afterward. All in good fun, fam. And then uh, a third one. He said he needs ten dollars so he can afford his new jackets. And I said he has $90 million for that. And he said, that's a smokescreen. And I said, that's fair. And I liked his new jacket. And he thanked me. If y'all want all the details. That's Leah Van on, on Twitter. <laughs> Reacting to the... To basically everybody go, more unprofessional, duh. Again. Especially... To my brothers and sisters... In Notre Dame media, y'all wish you could have done that too. Instead, most of you are way too, way too worried about uh, being invited to the table. About being able to eat at the same table, basically. Again, not exactly the most professional thing that she could have said, but I mean, we're we're gonna we're gonna go off on her for that. And to be perfectly honest, her side of uh, her side of everything hasn't necessarily been reported all that much. Like I've I've seen this story on Barstool, on Defector. I've seen it talked about on the Athletic. Uh, heard about it on ESPN ad nauseum. Uh, 
And since it was on ESPN, I'm sure it was on FS1 as well. Let's remember that, A, it's a fantastic comeback. And B, it is fun, after all. It is fun. It is sports, after all. We don't need to be clutching our pearls over a snippy little comeback in a press conference for a college football coach. We don't need it. Nobody needs it. We've got enough things to be to be clutching our pearls about. College football press conferences ain't one of them for me. Maybe I've got my priorities in, in order. I don't know. But yeah, Leah Van, it's all right in my book. the LSU baseball and football beat writer for the advocate down in Baton Rouge. So she's okay. <laughs> she did what hundreds of people in Notre Dame media wish they could have done at some point as well. And if any of you say otherwise, you're lying. <laughs> More of Budweiser's weekday sports beat coming up. Budweiser's weekday sports beat brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Football fans, this Bud's for you. Also by the Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. Tim Growl, State Farm Insurance, for surprisingly great rates that fit anyone's budget. Call Tim at 574-232-9981. South Bend Orthopedics, team physicians for the University of Notre Dame since 1949. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana, September is Hunger Action Month. How will you choose to help end hunger? Learn more at feedindiana.org. Also by Legacy Heating and Air, a Cook family business and pet refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop, where new beginnings have happy endings. Uh, some updates on baseball. Lots of afternoon baseball this afternoon today. Uh, let's see. Top 12, Yankees and Twins still tied at three. Uh, Aaron Judge did hit number 55. Uh, Glaber Torres also with a two-run homer. Jose Miranda with a homer for the Twins. Um, yeah, Aaron Judge is the only reason to tune into a Yankees game. Who'd have thunk that, huh? They had a 15-and-a-half game lead in, that, in, in the AL East. 15-and-a-half. It's down to four-and-a-half. And the Twins doing a fantastic choke job as well. They can't get any offense going. I can only imagine. Like, I haven't watched any of that game, obviously, because I've been here. But, um, God. Ugh. Make me lose my lunch. 
3-3 tied at uh, the top of the 12th between the Yankees and the Twins. And we get another dose of that tonight. <laughs> Yay! White Sox leading the Mariners 6-5. Guardians, of course, of Cleveland. A uh, game-and-a-half lead on the on the Twins. Three games on the White Sox. Where is Cleveland tonight? As I look down my scoreboard, Cleveland has Kansas City. They're in Kansas City tonight at 8-10. Over-under, by the way, eight runs in that game. So, the AL Central just, ugh. <laughs> A bunch of middling teams. Ugh, gross. Braves beat the A's. And at least still separated by a half game. Or once again separated by a half game. So uh, the uh, the Braves and Mets went into today tied for first. Because the Braves just can't lose anymore. They can't lose anymore. They haven't lost It's not even anything the Mets are doing. Like they, they had a great August. They <laughs> took two or three from Dodge. I mean, they had a great August. Haven't started September great, but 96 wins. They've been on pace all season for 96 wins. The Braves since June on pace for 116 wins. Eventually, if you're in second place and you're on pace for 116 wins, you're going to catch up to teams. Moral of that story, let, let's let's ease up on, oh, the Mets are collapsing. No, the Yankees are collapsing. That's a collapse. Tigers and Angels tied, bottom of seven. Oh, tied 6-6, bottom of seven, between the uh, White Sox and Mariners now. Uh, 3-3 tie, top of the eighth, between the Giants and Dodgers. Mets and Pirates, game two of their doubleheader, just getting underway. Actually, bottom of the first there. Uh, things just getting underway in Tampa between the Red Sox and the Rays. No score in that game. Cubs have the Reds tonight at Wrigley. Uh, you also got... Uh, <laughs> Another pile of slop between the Twins and Yankees in the Bronx, which uh, <laughs> was supposed to start 10 minutes ago, but we're still playing game one. That's that's going to make things even better. That's going to make that night game even better between the Twins and Yankees. <laughs> Marlins and Phillies, Blue Jays and Orioles, uh, Nationals and the Cards, uh, Guardians and Royals, as I mentioned, the Rangers and Astros and the uh, Diamondbacks and the Padres. Man, Padres fell off. Fell off of a cliff. Like, I know they lost Tetis Jr. because he's an idiot. But, I mean, you still picked up Juan Soto. And you still picked up Josh Bell. And neither one of them have really done anything. Josh Bell's been okay. Soto's been eh, at best. 
San Diego gave up the farm for it. In case you missed it, uh, I think ESPN just took a uh, took a step towards Lee Corso no longer being part of College Game Day. I don't think they're forcing him out by any stretch, but they've got the contingency plan. Pat McAfee joining ESPN's College Game Day as a full-time analyst this season on a multi-year agreement. It's going to appear weekly uh, beginning this Saturday before the Alabama and Texas game in Austin. Of course, he's got his own radio show. He's got uh, radio show slash podcast. He's on WWE Friday Night Smackdown as well. How tired is that dude going to be after calling SmackDown live, by the way? Like, they don't tape SmackDown anymore. That's live on Fox every Friday night. And then he's got, and then he's got what, a 9 a.m. will call for, uh, for college game day, depending on wherever the hell it is in the country. Just for that, I hope they're paying him like an extra like fifty million dollars for it. Signed a multi-year contract extension with WWE back in July, even so, you know, and he's still going to keep doing it. Still going to keep doing, you know, he's going to do both. So, needless to say, I think the contingency plan is in place now for for life after Lee Corso. Again, don't want it to happen. But we've kind of noticed that you know that that Lee Corso is getting up there in age. He's had some health health issues. So Ohio State and Notre Dame that averaged ten and a half million viewers on ABC in prime time. Kind of what happens when you have like a like. Literally five games worth of note in a college football weekend. And also, like, just no competition. Like, you know, Alabama and Utah State, that's your competition? <laughs> a, to- a total landslide? Of course they're going to wind up like that. America, you know, even Alabama fans were like, okay. We're up 21 nothing already. Yeah, what else is on? <laughs> Click. The uh, Ohio State-Michigan game. The, uh, the season's best last season as far as TV ratings go. Uh, almost 16 million viewers. 15.83 million viewers. You know, until we got to the bowl games. So... Uh, Georgia Clemson, same time last year, uh, that averaged 8.86 million on ABC. So definitely, uh, you know, pe- people are interested in Ohio State. Obviously, they've got a huge fan base. Notre Dame has a huge fan base, and also Notre Dame. You know, if you love Notre Dame, you're watching the game. If you hate Notre Dame, you're watching the game. Just how that works. It's how it's always worked. So. Uh, ABC and ESPN definitely uh, cashing in there. And then finally, <laughs> new Big 12 commissioner Brett Yormark visited the University of Cincinnati on on Wednesday, today, 
he was uh, asked about the possibility of future Big 12 expansion, uh, which, you know, obviously his conference needs in order to survive. Um, asked what schools would be ideal additions for the conference. Yormark said, Obviously, going out west is where I would like to go, entering that fourth time zone. A program that has national recognition, one that competes at the highest level in basketball and football, stands for the right things, is a good cultural fit. Who are you going to get there, Brett? San Diego State? I guess Oregon. Oregon's probably looking for a, for a life jacket right about now. Maybe Washington. Any of those teams doing anything for you? Not doing anything for me. You know, that's that's that is for sure. South Bend Cubs coming up seven fifteen. That's when the uh, pregame starts for them. First pitch seven thirty five. We'll be uh, checking in in Cedar Rapids coming up in just a little bit. Sports Radio nine sixty WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 